Hi friends, welcome as we gather once again for our Thursday Bible study as we continue to look at uh, the book of Nehemiah. I'm John Brock. I'm glad that you're joining us here as part of Trinity Lutheran and Camp Hill's uh, ongoing series here. So today we're going to be looking at chapters 9, 10, and 11 today. Uh, and a bunch of interesting things going on here, at least interesting to me, being the Bible nerd that I am. Fun stuff. So um, we start off here in chapter nine. Now, just remember, uh, of course, Nehemiah. Um, this is this is happening during the reign of King Artaxerxes, the Persian, uh, the Persian king. Uh, Nehemiah has asked permission from the king to return to his home country of Israel. Nehemiah was actually born in bondage there in Babylon, but. Um, He's, he's asking to return to the to the land of his ancestors, Israel, once he finds out that Jerusalem is still in shambles. And uh, he gets permission from the king to do so. Not only that, but uh, Artaxerxes uh, allows um, uh, the, 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 the Persian Empire to pay for uh, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, he allows um, the Nehemiah uh, to go through the, uh, the storage rooms and find any of the uh, worship materials that were taken when the Babylonians uh, uh, raised Jerusalem. Um, now it's it's been about seventy years since the raising of Jerusalem, and and now the return of of the exiles. And Nehemiah has come back. We we in the last session that I did, uh, verses four or chapters four, five, and six, we we talked about as they were actually rebuilding the wall itself. So today. As we look at 9, 10, and 11, uh, we're looking at the fact that the wall has now been rebuilt and uh, what what the government of the day, what the, what the people are, are how, how they're reacting to it. So we're picking up here uh, in chapter 9. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth on their heads. Then those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sin and iniquities of their ancestors. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for the fourth of a part of a day. And for another fourth, they made confessions and worshiped the Lord, their God. Then Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bani, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chaniah stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabneah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, uh, Sebaniah and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessings be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. Okay, so a reminder, so, so an explanation of what's going on here. So the 24th day of this month, this is happening at a, a prox, a, to the best of, of historical records, we can figure um, that this is happening in, in 443 uh, BCE. Uh, actually, the, the seventh month of the 20th year uh, of, of the reign in um, of, of Artaxerxes. I said, I'm sorry, I said 443, I meant 445. And um, 
So, um, uh, the the people are gathered together, and they get divided into, into into two groups. They get the people of Israelite descent and everybody else. We would refer to them as Gentiles. They call here they call them um, foreigners. Um, and the reason that they're going to do this is is because of this next section. And and they went through a whole bunch of names. You know, here's an idea: if you if you if you happen to be pregnant and you're looking for a baby name, here's some great names that you're not going to hear a whole lot of other people using. So if you're really looking for an unusual name, uh, jump right into the book of Nehemiah. You're going to find some great ones in here. All right. So um, we continue with verse six. And Ezra said. Um, you are the Lord, you alone have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all the hosts, uh, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. To all of them you give life and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name of Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and you made with him a covenant to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pezzarite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, and you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. All right, so a couple of quick notes. Um, the the uh, and Ezra said that's only in some versions of scripture. Then the the New Revised Standard Version, which I'm reading from, chose to include that as part of it. We're not uh, the the Hebrew scriptures itself don't include that little section, so we're not for sure that it's 100% that it's Ezra talking. Excuse me, but regardless, it starts off here. This happens many times throughout Scripture that the people are gathered together, and who's ever in charge gives them a brief rundown of their history, reminding them of who they are, where they came from, and and what God has done for them. And so we start off with with this: um, "You alone have made the heaven and the heaven of heavens, uh, with all their hosts." Um, it, it's very interesting that uh, we, we get this reminder right at the very beginning of the people that they are monotheists. They believe in one God. Now, you, you need to remember that at this point in history, gods are very much um, regional gods. Uh, so if you live in Egypt, uh, you worship the gods of Egypt. But if you go on, on say, a trading trip, you, you know, you get in a boat, and you sail across the Mediterranean, and you go over to Greece, um, your God is not necessarily going to go with you. There are different gods over in Greece, and they're going to look out for the people in Greece. Um, so, um, and and within that set of in, in each country's set of gods, um, there there there's a hierarchy to those gods, but all of them are gods. Um, but there and there's not necessarily one God. There's a God who maybe made the earth, a God who who oversees the water, the you know gods who oversee emotions. Um, here in Nehemiah, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, um, and all that is in it, the seas. Reminding the people that there is one God who has done everything. And this will be important in, in a little bit. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, 
But of course, that start begins with a reminder of how, how the people of Israel will see the beginning of their faith with, with the covenant, with the promise that God made to Abram. Now here, here the author says, Abram, uh, we tend to emphasize that the promise was made to Abram and his wife, Sarai, Abram and Sarai, who of course will eventually be, be renamed Abraham and Sarah. And that promise, that covenant is, I will be your God, you will be my people, your descendants will outnumber the stars of the sky. Um, and so that's the promise uh, that 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 Abram and it, and his and his family were living in Ur. You uh, are Ur. Um, it's probably um, or it's assumed to be south of of uh, Babylon. Um, um, near near the the joining of of the Euphrates and the Tigris River so basically in modern day Iraq is is where we we understand this to be and Abram picked up his entire family he, you know, he was a he was a well-to-do business person of course agricultural society picked up all of his 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 family his flock uh, all of the people who worked for him and they began to travel so it's approximately 300-ish miles from about where Ur is as they travel east and north to um, to, to the land of the Canaanites what we would know today as modern-day Israel um, and 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 Abram was called because of his faithfulness. God saw his faithfulness. For whatever reason, Abram was a follower of the Lord God Almighty. And God saw this and called Abram to this blessed position. Uh, so we continue, verse 9. You saw the distress of our ancestors in Egypt, and you heard their cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all of his servants and all of the people of his land, for you knew that they acted insolently against our ancestors. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they passed through the sea on dry land. But you threw their pursuers into the depths like a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way of which they should go. You came down also upon Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them the right ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known your holy Sabbath to them and gave them commandments and statutes and a law through your servant Moses. For their hunger you gave them bread from heaven and for their thirst you brought water for them out of the rock and you told them to go into the and go in to possess the land that you gave them. All right, so a bunch of stuff happens there. Um, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, I get their names changed to Abraham and Sarah. They arrive at the promised land. They start a family. They eventually have a son, Isaac, uh, and Isaac eventually gets married and has twins. Jacob and Esau. The the although Esau is the older of the two of the twins, uh, the promise goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob because Jacob is more faithful. Um, Jacob ends up having four wives, uh, twelve sons, um, and they um, eventually have to go. They move from the land of Canaan. 
uh, that God has given to them, uh, because of a, a famine, they move to the country of Egypt. Now, fortunately, um, the, Egypt has prepared for this famine because, as it turns out, one of Jacob's sons uh, ends up being um, second only to the Pharaoh in all of Egypt through a bunch of series of events that that that. <laughs> this totally skips over and that I'm not going to go into detail. But they come, they they dwell in Egypt, they do fantastic, and they settle in for the duration. They stay there for a while. Actually, they end up staying there approximately 400 years, right? And so they continue to grow and multiply because each of those 12 sons has um, wives and children of their own. So by, by 400-ish years, they are several tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands in number. The government of Egypt is distressed over all of these who they perceive as being foreigners, right? Because they have moved into Egypt. They are not Egyptian by nationality. So they have subjugated them. They have put them in bondage. They have made the, the children of, of Jacob. Jacob, who has his name changed, just like his grandfather went from Abram to Abraham. Jacob gets his name changed from Jacob to Israel. So the children of Israel um, are now in bondage. Um, they're not having a good time, so they cry out to God. God sends to them a guy named Moses, who isn't mentioned in this section at all. Uh, Moses, of course, uh, hopefully you remember the story. Moses goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with the Pharaoh. You have to let my people go. I'm not going to let your people go. If you don't let my people go, something bad's going to happen. Pharaoh says, bring it on. Something bad happens. Pharaoh tries to get his magicians to stop it. They can't. So then he says to Moses, okay, pray to your God. Make it whatever it is that's happening. Stop. And you guys can go. Moses does this. It stops. Moses says, okay, we're going to go now. Pharaoh says, no. And the whole thing starts all over again. Uh, nine times this happens. The tenth time. God says, okay, Moses, get the people ready. We're going, you know, something really bad is going to happen. And so this is the time that, that the, 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 this is the time where the festival of the Passover comes from. Um, the, the people get ready to, to, to leave. The angel of death comes in and kills the firstborn in every household that does not have the blood of the lamb painted on the doorpost and on the lintel of the doors. All, anybody who has the blood of a lamb painted on their doorpost, the angel of death passes over. So the people leave Egypt. Um, and now it says here in, in verse 9, we read, um, your ancestors uh, left Egypt and I heard their cry at the Red Sea. Actually, that's a mistranslation of the Hebrew. The Hebrew actually says the Sea of Reeds, R-E-E-D-S, not Red Sea, Reeds, the Sea of Reeds. And actually, um, this is a bit of a conundrum for most Bible scholars because we really don't know where there is, this is. Uh, Egyptian records talk about several lakes or areas, marshy areas that, that are very much um, reeds, uh, but we don't know where exactly this Sea of Reeds might be. Um, if you remember the, the great Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments, and Moses standing before this raging uh, body of water, lifting up his arms and huge, you know, the, that that's probably not what this happened. That's Cecil B. DeMille's and Hollywood. That's not scripture. Um, 
the thing is we really don't know a whole lot about the people leaving Egypt. Um, probably in the back of your Bibles, there's a map that will tell you, oh, the, the, the journey of the people from Egypt to Israel. Uh, the thing is, nobody really knows for sure how these people went. Um, so that's pretty much a guess. We know that they did. They start out in Egypt. They went south. Uh, they crossed over at some point into the Arabian Peninsula, uh, went north up toward modern-day Israel, um, actually got to Israel and got and sent in spies. Okay, remember, 12 sons of Jacob, 12 spies go into Israel. They've been gone approximately 400 years. The spies go in, they and they come back and they report, and they say, hey, the land is fertile, fruit aplenty. However, the people who live there, these guys are giants. They're huge. They're well-armed. We'll never make it. Uh, Ten of the 12 spies say this. The other two, a guy named Joshua and his buddy Caleb, they say, no, you know what? Yes, all that is true. The land is fertile. Uh, there's, there's, there's great or orchards there, but the people are big and well-armed. But but they say, God has said that we can do this. So we can do this. And everybody says, no, 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 no. We can't do this. So God says, you know what? Okay, I'm not going to deal with your whining. Um, you're not going in. Anybody who's still alive, you're not going in. Uh, so we will wait. So that's why there's that 40-year gap between when the people left Egypt to when they finally get into the land of Israel. It's, it's not the old proverbial joke is that they got lost in the wilderness. No, they weren't. They weren't physically lost. They God said, you're not going in. Not until the last of the people who said no, who didn't believe that I would help them win. Not until all of those people have died. That's when you'll finally go in. And actually, the only people who got to go in um, uh, 40 years later, well, it didn't include the children. This was aimed, aimed at the adults. Um, but so the only adults that were alive the first time that got to go in when they returned were Joshua and his buddy Caleb, not even Moses. Moses had, had messed up because Moses, um, when, when they were in, when they were in, um, in the wilderness. Uh, well, well, we'll actually, we'll get into that in just a section. Section second. There we go. Um, so, um, but the, they have left Egypt. Of course, uh, they they come to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses goes up on the mountain, and he has his one on ones with God, where God gives him the the law gives him the commandments uh, Moses comes down from the mountains only to discover that the people have turned away from him they, you know Moses you've been gone for so long uh, or they say to Aaron Moses brother Aaron Moses has been gone for so long we need a God we need we need we can't see this God that that Moses has been talking about we need we need an idol like we had back in Egypt you know why did you bring us out of Egypt to die we want an idol like we had back in Egypt so so Aaron gathers up gold from all of the people and he melts the gold and he makes a, a golden calf. Why does he make a golden calf? Well, in in um, in the surrounding countries of Egypt and, and where they are now, um, the, the, a bull or a calf is, uh, is, is well, the, the god, the, the idol Baal is a bull. Um, it's, it's seen as a fertility god. And of course, the people want to continue to grow. They want to make their food, but they also want to grow their families so that they are great in number, so that the enemies, their enemies won't come in and take them. Um, so that, that's why they make a bull. A, uh, um, not Abraham, Moses comes down from the, um, 
from the mountain and he sees this this golden calf idol that Aaron has made and, and he just loses it and he yells at the people and he throws the tablets at the calf and he destroys the calf. That, well, he, he gets the people to repent. Um, and, and that's... Um, uh, but but God is also supplying them right manna from heaven, some kind of, of bread that shows up every morning. God supplies with them meat, uh, uh, helps them find quail. Uh, there's several times that they're without water, and Moses directs or God directs Moses to uh, to strike his his staff on some rocks, and, and a spring develops. Um, that's where we get um, verse 15. Uh, they're hungry, you gave them bread from heaven. They're thirsty, you brought water out of a rock. Um, and, and you led them back into the land. And they were able to go back into the land, and they overtook the land, and, and they settled in the land. And we pick up in verse 16. Uh, but they and our ancestors acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their necks and determined to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You did not forsake them, even when they cast an image of the calf for themselves, and they said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies in your great mercies. In your great mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud that led them in the way did not leave them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night that gave them light on which they should go. You gave them your good spirits to instruct them, you and did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. That's the only place in Scripture that we ever hear that reference, by the way. Uh, and gave them their kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner so that they took Excuse me, so that they took possession of the land of the king of Sihon, of Heshbon, and the king and the land of King Og of Bashan. You multiplied their descendants like stars of heaven and brought them to the lands that you had told their excuse me, that you had told their ancestors to possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into the hands with their kings and the people of the land to do with them as they pleased. And they captured fortress cities and rich lands and took possessions of houses filled with all sorts of goods, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and were delighted themselves in your great goodness. So God allows the people, even though that they had turned against God. Um, after those 40 years passed, Joshua leads the people. And of course, we learn about this in, in the book of Joshua. Uh, we, we, we learn about their travels, their, all, all of their difficulties before they enter in the books of, of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, um, Deuteronomy. That's where we get all of that story. Uh, but uh, and, and, and time and again, they would complain to Moses, you know, why did we come out of Egypt? If we're going to die here. Um, they, were, were, they were rather a bit of a whiny people. And so, um, uh, but, but they, Joshua leads them into victory as they reclaim their land, and it's a good land, and, and they settle in, and they start to grow. Verse 26, Nevertheless, uh, 
They were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of their enemies who made them suffer. Then in time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven and according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hands of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you and you abandoned them to the hands of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you rescued them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn back in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances, by the observance of which a person shall live. They turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their necks and would not obey. Many years you were patient with them and warned them by your spirits through your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you handed them over to the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. So the people come and they settle in. And uh, now, again, remember, so the 12 sons of Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, uh, more, more or less form the 12 tribes of Israel. And those 12 tribes come in and they each get their own section of, of that area. Uh, but of course, they can't get along all the time. You know, their family, family doesn't always get along. And so sometimes they battle each other. Sometimes there are outside influence that's come in and tries to take over. So initially, there's the time of judges. And you can read about that in the book of Judges. The judges are, are, are people who rise up and lead the folks against their, their enemies. Um, usually it's somebody, just a normal person, rises up, leads the, you know, organizes folks, leads them against their enemies. Then more or less once that they're defeated, they go back to what they were doing, but they, but they're still um, uh, uh, an authoritarian, they're an authority figure. People look up to them, but they're, but they're not necessarily ruling as we would understand a ruler to be. Uh, again and again, this happens until finally um, the last of the judges is a guy named Samson. You might remember the story of Samson and his great strength. Samson also has girl problems. Um, but after Samson, the people, uh, th there arises a guy named by the name of Samuel. Samuel is a prophet. Uh, and um, that uh, uh, the, the the prophet uh, the the people come to Samuel and they they complain to Samuel. Samuel, everybody around us has a king. We want a king too. Samuel says, No, you don't want a king. If you have a king, you're going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to uh, provide the the king and, and his and his whole palace with food. You're going to have to send your sons and your daughters to be in service to him. You don't want to. Oh yeah, Samuel, Samuel, we want a king. And and God says to Samuel, Samuel, don't. This is not against you. This is against me. Uh, we'll, we'll give them a king. Don't worry about it. So, so the Saul is chosen. Saul is chosen um, to be king. He doesn't work out. He actually, at one point, uh, goes against something that God had told him to do. So then God calls a guy named David. Uh, and David, David, while he has his own mistakes, and David has girl problems himself, um, but he d is faithful to the Lord God. And so after David dies and David's son Solomon becomes king, uh, Solomon, now, now during the time of, of Saul, Saul is able to unify the 12 tribes. David uh, takes Jerusalem and makes Jerusalem into the center of the government. Sa Solomon comes along and Solomon builds the temple to the Lord God. And each with each of these kings, the kingdom is getting progressively larger and larger. Under Solomon, um, the nation of Israel is the largest it has ever been. 
either in history or today. Um, problem is Solomon dies and his children, here's a surprise, can't get along. And so the kingdom breaks into two. Remember we had the 12 tribes. Well, 10 of those tribes uh, make the uh, the country of Israel. It's geographically larger and it's to the north. Two of those tribes become the kingdom of Judah. It's the southern southern kingdom. It's geographically much smaller, but Judah is also where the city of Jerusalem is, where the, where the temple that the Lord is worshipped is. So the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, they, they've lost their center of government. They need to build a new place. They build it in the city of, of, of Bethel, and then they build their own temple. But of course, the, the people of Judah are a little bit snotty about it. They say, oh, well, you don't have a real temple. You're not really worshiping God. Um, and the two countries coexist. Sometimes they attack each other. Sometimes they get. Uh, sometimes they work together to repel enemies. Uh, but they don't. They don't really get along. They're not necessarily always at war with each other, but they're always at odds with one another. Um, and so, when in like the seven eighties. Uh, BC, the kingdom of Assyria come along and they conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. And Israel, for all intents and purposes, is wiped off the, the map. Uh, Israel becomes assimilated into the Assyrians. And actually, it's the former kingdom of Israel, the former northern kingdom, that when we read in the New Testament and we hear about the Samaritans, right? The Samaritans who worship God, but the, the southern kingdom of Judah don't Say, say that they're not real believers. The, the Samaritans, Samaria comes out of the northern kingdom, okay? 787, the northern kingdom falls to the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Judah is able to hold out for a while. It's not until like the 540s that the southern kingdom of Judah falls to the Babylonians. But during this time, during especially the time of the kings, is also the time when the prophets rise up. And the prophets are people who come and they speak for the Lord to the people. And more often than not, their, their message primarily is, look, folks, we have turned away from the Lord God. We need to change our ways. We need to change what we're doing and return to following the Lord God, because if we don't do that, God is, a going, to, God is going to allow something bad to happen. And sometimes the people listen, sometimes they wouldn't. The thing is, the people almost always blamed not God, not themselves, but the prophets when bad things happen. And so oftentimes they would then take out their anger on the prophets. Um, you know, the, the prophet Elijah, uh, he served in the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, there are plenty of stories of King Ahab uh, persecuting Elijah. Uh, you probably know the name Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet in the southern kingdom during the time that the Babylonians were attacking and, and trying to take over Jerusalem. Um, Jeremiah kept telling the people, look, we've got to return to the Lord our God. If we don't, God is going to allow the Babylonians to come in. When the Babylonians came in, Jeremiah and, and a bunch of the people escaped from Jerusalem. They escaped being captured by the, um, by the Babylonians. But Jeremiah was taken along with them, and he was martyred because they blamed Jeremiah for the Babylonians when it wasn't Jeremiah's fault; it was their own fault. But so that's what that's what um, the, the, this message to the people of Jerusalem uh, during Nehemiah's day is talking about. Uh, 
with of not listening to the prophets of the people turning a stubborn shoulder and stiffening their necks um, that they they didn't listen to the Lord. Uh, but so we pick up verse thirty two in chapter nine. Now therefore our God the great and mighty and awesome God keeping covenant and steadfast love do not treat lightly all the hardships that has come upon us upon our kings and our officials our priests our prophets our king our ancestors and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until today. You have been just in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our officials, our priests, and our ancestors have not kept your law or heeded the commandments and the warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and in the great goodness you bestowed on them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you and did not turn from their wicked works. Here we are, slaves to this day, slaves in the land that you gave to our ancestors to enjoy its fruits and its gifts. Its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power also over our bodies and over our livestock and and at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. Okay, so remember, so in in the 540s, it's Babylon that comes in. So the Assyrians uh, took over the northern kingdom of Israel. The Assyrians are 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 overtaken by the Babylonians. The Babylonians come in and they overtake uh, Jerusalem. They raised Jerusalem. Right. This is what led to the Exodus. They raised the walls. They destroyed the temple. They took the political leaders. They took the royalty. They took the the business people. They took uh, the military leaders and took all of them into exile all the way over to Babylon, so approximately 300 miles to the east. Um, and it's not, and then, but then the Assyr, the the Babylon, Syrians lost to the Babylonians. The Babylonians lose out to the uh, to the Persians, and so um, that's where we get that's where we get Nehemiah being born in exile in Babylon uh, under the rule of of Artaxerxes, the Persian leader. Uh, but it's Artaxerxes when Nehemiah finds out the condition of his ancestral home. Artaxerxes allows Nehemiah to not only return. But Artaxerxes um, allows Nehemiah to to go through the the storage bins of of the Persian Empire, uh, the former Babylonian Empire, find whatever. Uh, uh, Temple um, uh, utensils, you know the uh, what, you know the the candlesticks holders or the the baptismal fonts. They wouldn't have baptismal fonts, but whatever the religious um, uh, finery, the re- religious accoutrements are, to find those and bring them back uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, and and Xerxes is underwriting the rebuilding of the temple and of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem themselves. Excuse me, but even so, there in verse 37, its rich yield goes to the king. So it's still a a good land to be at. Its rich yield goes to the kings whom you set over us. Right, the people didn't listen to God, and so God allowed the Babylonians and in turn the Persians to to be their rulers instead, Um, to allow them to... um, to have power over us, power over our bodies and livestock. We're in great distress. Okay, now something else, though, we, we need to realize. Remember what I was saying before about God's being geographical. It's during their time in exile that the people start to come to realize, and we read this in the Psalms especially, that God has come with them 
from Israel, from Judah, all the way to Babylon. Uh, one of the great uh, Psalms, by the waters of Babylon, I, know, I sit and I remember you, my Lord, uh, in the homelands. Um, the people of Israel, or the people, the, the, the the people of Judah, I'm going to call them Israel because they're they're the descendants of Israel, formerly named Judah. The people of Israel, while they are in exile, start to get this understanding that, that their God, Yahweh, is not geographically restricted. That God is with them just as much in Babylon as God was with them in Jerusalem. It's a radical concept for the day, and it's also start the, the, the beginnings of formation uh, or solidifying this whole idea of monotheism, that there's one God. You might have many gods, but our God, there is only one true God. All of the gods that you're, you're you know, all of these gods of Egypt or gods of Greece or, or, or the Norse gods or whatever, all of those are false gods. They are not really gods. There's only one true God, one God who made everything. So that... That idea really starts to gel while the people are in bond, well, uh, in exile rather, while they're in exile in um, in Babylon. So, verse thirty-eight of chapter nine: Because of all this, we make a firm agreement in writing, and on that sealed document are inscribed the names of all of our officials, our Levites, and our priests. Okay, so. Um, they, they've just gone over, they, they basically reminded people, the people who are now divided into two groups, got the people of Israel and then everybody else. They call the, the Nehemiah's calling them foreigners, we would call them Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Um, they've just gone over all of the history of Jerusalem, of the people there. So now they're about to make a, a, a covenant. All of the people gathered there are going to make a covenant. So chapter 10 starts off, and I'm not going to read. The first 27 verses are all different names. But under, but, but realize that, that the first name listed is, of course, Nehemiah. The other people that are, are signing this document that are whose names are listed, these are the, the, the priests, the Levites, the, the other important people of the day. So we're going to pick up um, with... Um, with verse 28 in chapter 10, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, and the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to adhere to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their kin, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, first time now that we've we had all that history repeat now we're finally getting the name of Moses um, which was given to Moses by Moses to the servant of God no, excuse me which was given by Moses the servant of God and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes we will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons we're not going to allow intermarriage is what this is saying. And if the peoples of the land bring in merchandise or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy it from them on the Sabbath or the holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of debt. All right. So remember the commandments. The commandments are a little bit more special than the general law of Moses. How do the commandments begin? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We have to jump back to the book of Genesis. God 
creates in Genesis, God creates everything in six days and rests on the Sabbath. That's why the day of worship for for the, the, the children of Israel is the Sabbath day. That's the day that, that Yahweh rested. They're not supposed to do any kind of work. But here they're redefining a little bit what work is, aren't they? There in verse 31, if the people of the land bring in merchandise or any grain of the Sabbath to sell. People of the land, okay, they're not talking about the Israelites. They're talking about the foreigners. If the people of the land bring in merchandise or grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy it from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. Um, but remember, this is primarily an agriculture uh, society. Um, they have animals that need to be fed or milked. So what this is saying, instead of not doing any work, they're they're very they're they're narrowing that description and saying, okay, we won't buy or sell anything on the Sabbath or on specific holy days. You you non children of Israel, you can do that, but we're not going to take part in that. That's what they're saying. Um, and then more specifically, uh, we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So this is another part of the law that we're not really sure how often it was really kept, but it's saying that every seven years, you should let your fields go fallow. Just let them recoup so that they can get renourish themselves. Also, if you have any debts after seven years, you're supposed to forgive it. If you if someone has uh, sold themselves into bondage to you after seven years, you're supposed to let them go. That that's a reminder. And they're saying as well that the people who are signing this paper, uh, you're agreeing to go along with this. So, verse thirty-two, chapter ten, verse thirty-two. We also lay on ourselves the obligation to charge ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the rows of bread, the regular grain offering, the burnt the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath, the new moons, the appointed festivals, the sacred donations, and the sin offering to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We have also cast lots among the priests and the Levites and the people for wood offering to bring it into the house of our God by ancestral houses at appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our soil and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God the priests who minister to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our livestock as it is written in the law and the first things of our herds and the flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine, the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, to bring to the Levites the tithes from our soil, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in our, all our rural towns. And the priests, the descendants of Aaron, will be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tithe of tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse, where the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the storerooms, where the vessel and the sanctuary are, where the priests that, that minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. We will not neglect the house of our God. So what they're saying here pretty much boils down to, look, we, we were rebuilding Jerusalem. We obviously have the temple, but the priests and the Levites, um, they're the, the, they're the ones who are there. They're not out in fields. So we, so because they live in town, because they don't have gardens, they don't have a way, they can't raise animals in town. We have to support them. We have to 
for for lack of a better word, this is the tax that the people are saying is paying. This is the tithe that the people are giving to help provide um, the the religious leadership as a means to live, uh, as well as to bring offering to the Lord God. That's what this whole section is about. You, you bring the first fruits of the harvest. Um, and I do find it interesting that that one uh, the, the the one verse um, uh, verse thirty six uh, the firstborn of our sons so the firstborn child you're supposed to bring to the temple to dedicate for the the Lord as well um, uh, which is continuing on into into Jesus' day that's why we get John the Baptizer and and Jesus himself both being dedicated um, but. Um, just a reminder here that that um, we need to support the religious people, uh, the, the religious leaders who are taking care of the place where we go to to worship. Okay, excuse me. We're we're almost done here. We're at, we're at chapter eleven, and chapter eleven is um, we're not going to read most of it. Um, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in the holy city, Jerusalem, while nine-tenths remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all those who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And most of the rest of the chapter then are, are just naming the some of the people who came to live in Jerusalem. All right, so, but, but, but what is this about? So we've rebuilt Jerusalem. In order for a city to work, what do you need? You need a population in the city. Uh, this is an agricultural society. People don't live in cities. They live out in farms, right? So what they did, they gathered folks together. Everybody takes your own token. It's, it's a memorable token that is specific for you, and you're going to put it in a jar. And you know, ten people come together. Ten people put their token in a jar that's you know marked with their name or that they know specifically. Oh, that belongs to 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 Jerry. That belongs to Othniel. That belongs to Boaz or whatever. And they're going to put those ten pieces in a jar. They're going to shake the jar and they're going to shake it and keep shaking it until one of those pieces come out. And whoever's piece comes out, that's the person who's going to move into the city. And the other nine people, they get to stay on the farm. And they're going to do that until they get enough people to live in the city because they need people to live in the city to make the city work because that's the whole reason for, for rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple, is to have this center of government, even though, even though technically Israel... Is, or Jerusalem uh, is still under the Persian Empire, but they, they need a place to live. They need a place to work in that area. They need their local government office. They need, a, and therefore they need the city to work around it. So, so that's what chapter 11 is all about, um, talking about those people who, um, who come in and to move into Jerusalem to help the city work. So that's where we're, we're, we're ending for today. So thank you, friends, for, for joining us once again. Uh, I hope that you've had a good time. Uh, I've learned a little bit, maybe. I've uh, been refreshed on your history of, of, of Israel and, and what goes on. Now, remember as well, this is the, so this, um, uh, this rebuilding of Jerusalem that was destroyed by, uh, by the Babylonians. This, once the temple is rebuilt, that's 
what we call the second temple. That's the temple that's around in Jesus' day. And that will stand from when it's been rebuilt here in the 500 BC. That stands all the way until the first century uh, in 70 AD when the people of Jerusalem rise up in rebellion against the Roman Empire. The Romans, of course, well, the Babylonians fall to the to the Greeks. The Greeks will eventually fall to the Romans. The people rebel against the Romans, and the Roman uh, general Vespian comes in, and he raises the city completely, uh, destroys the temple, and that's why the temple no longer exists even to this day. So, but again, hopefully you've learned something new. Hopefully you've had an enjoyable time. Thank you so very much. Uh, we have one more session here in Nehemiah with Pastor Jack. That'll be next week. You all take care. God's blessings to you.